Then he released Barabbas to them. But he had Jesus flogged and handed over to be crucified. Then the governor's soldiers took Jesus into the praetorium and gathered the whole company of soldiers round him. They stripped him and put a scarlet robe on him and then twisted together a crown of thorns and set it on his head. They put a staff in his right hand and knelt in front of him and mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews, they said. They spat on him and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. After they had mocked him, they took off the robe and put his own clothes on him. Then they led him away to crucify him. Thank you, Rich. Now I'm going to invite Roger to come and open the word of God to us. I just want to pray for him before he does so. Father God, I thank you so much for Roger and for the man of God that you've made him to be. I pray that it would really work in him tonight. Let them not be his words that he's speaking, but let them be yours, Father. Come and work in this place and and speak to each of us through what Roger shares tonight. In your name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Joe. Well, good evening, everybody. Isn't it great seeing Joe up here leading our uh, service? Fantastic. I hope that doesn't embarrass you, Joe, but it is. It's also making me feel increasingly older. I actually <laughs> terrible, isn't it? What a thing to say while Joe's even here. Well, thank you very much, Joe. Anyway, I do appreciate that. It's uh, it's uh, it's often the case when you uh, when you open up God's word and you're just about to start. You want to capture people's uh, attention. Start with a joke. Start with a funny story. I found it increasingly difficult, to be honest, to do that as we've been going through this series in Matthew, uh, towards the end of Matthew's Gospel. When you've got a title that I came up with, I have to say, so I've only got myself to blame, Jesus is tortured. Where is the joke in that? Where is the funny illustration? It's very difficult, isn't it, to follow. I was thinking as I sat there, well, what on earth could I say to start off with? My mind went back to when I was a, a little boy, and I had lots of cuts and grazes because of my football. That won't surprise you. But one particular occasion, I had quite a nasty gash along the, uh, along the leg, and there was a plaster that had been stuck all the way down my, my leg, and it came for that awful time uh, when I was in the bath, and mummy came to take the plaster off. Maybe you've been a mum that has removed plasters of people or maybe you've anticipated something like And mums are very good at saying, well, this will be quick but it's for your own good. And you, you know because of previous history this is going to kind of like be horrendous pain. And I guess there's something of that that was going through my mind as we, as we open God's word here because it is incredibly painful but we can't ignore what God's word says. This did happen to Jesus, whether we like it or not. And it's for our own good that we actually get to grips with it and see why we've got this record that Matthew uh, does give to us. So yes, there's going to be times as the plaster is peeled from our our leg and there's going to be a bit of a yelp every now and then and a wince, I dare say, as we draw closer to the cross. But this is always for our own good as we begin to get into the Word of God. Um, together. Jesus 
is tortured. Yes, we've got just a few verses. Very short reading, which is probably the only reason why Rich was uh, willing to agree to read it. Yes, he's agreeing with that. And you think, well, okay, we we could see that that Jesus is mocked by the soldiers. End of. There's more there, as there always is when we look to God's Word. And I trust that we'll capture something afresh of what our Lord has done uh, for us. And then uh, we'll sing a song following that before John uh, is going to lead us through a time of communion, which is very appropriate, I think. When Jesus is, is handed over to the Roman soldiers, he's already been flogged. And that was a nasty business. Uh, Luke and John uh, don't actually mention the verses that we're going to look at. And the more we look at these verses, maybe the more we can understand why somebody thought, I really do not want to, to comment on that or, or, or write anything about that. It's too awful. David Guzik mentioned this. He said, the victim of a Roman scourging was tied against a post and struck with a whip that had bits of glass, sharp rock and metal tied to the end of leather cords. The whip would be struck at the top and then dragged down the back until the victim's entire back was a bloody open wound. Many people died just from this scourging. That's the start before we even get into the few verses that we're going to look at this evening. Jesus had not slept probably for at least 24 hours. He was already understandably in a weakened physical state from exhaustion and the beating that he had taken at the hands of the temple guard. The 39 lashes with a jagged whip must have put him in a state of shock, incredible pain, and we can only guess at the amount of blood that he lost. They did have a bit of a guess uh, in the film The Passion of the Christ, and if you've watched that, you'll know how incredibly barbaric and horrendous it is. And that's probably there or thereabouts how it was. What though do we see about this torture of Jesus? What comes back to me over and over is, Jesus, why did you do this? We know the flippant answer, don't we? Well, he did it for love. He did it, he did it for you and me. He died for our sin, yes. Why did you go through with that? Why and how could you have gone through with that? In that moment in Gethsemane, a few weeks back that we looked at in Gethsemane, there was even that sense of battle that Jesus had, wasn't there, about can this cup be taken from me? Can what I'm about to go through be taken from me? If there's any other way, please, Father God, would there be that way? But not what I will, what you will. That very powerful prayer. I wonder how many times... Jesus would have gone through that, or gone through that thinking, even with these few verses that we've got here. We've just read them, Rich read them out, and and it was over and done within, what, one minute, one and a half minutes? The torture that Jesus would have endured would have been a lot more than one and a half minutes. Surely, in his human state, there must have been occasion where he must have inwardly at the very least said, Father God, can you not take this cup from me? At any time, 
Jesus, of course, could have said, enough's enough, that's it, I'm out of here. But he didn't do that. For my sake and yours. Which is why we have the cup that's filled with red liquid. Because of the choice that he made. Firstly, we have the dread of being placed into enemy hands. Now, I know in comparison to someone like Joe, I'm a very old man. I know that. But not many of us maybe uh, remember the war. Fewer still would have had the experience of being handed over to the enemy. You may well have spoken with people that have gone through that experience, or you've read about it, or you've seen programs on TV about that incredible dread of the unknown, of being captured and being handed over to the enemy. The potential for torture, or of never seeing daylight or loved ones again. What would have gone through Jesus' mind at that time? Take this cup from me. At any time, Jesus could have said, enough's enough. But for my sake and yours, he took it all. Of course, that's speculation, but I'm sure he wasn't exactly thinking, this is good, isn't it? I'm enjoying this. I'm so pleased that I'm about to die for people. It sounds almost irreverent to be uh, so flippant in in using those words, because they're totally ridiculous, aren't they? There was the dread of being placed into enemy hands. Ever thought about that? Or is that a new thought, because we focus on other aspects of his journey to the cross? Or what about the fear of being intimidated. As we read of the soldiers gathering around him, my mind went back to school days when someone was picked on and bullied. Fight, 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 fight. Remember that? And the crowds then gather and there's then a circle of people that are there and of course the numbers are all out of kilter and there's maybe the big guy with the little guy and the big guy's being egged on. I had five years of being bullied in secondary school, from my first day until my last. There wasn't a crowd of people around me, but I can remember the the occasions when there was a crowd of people around someone else, and the egg on, and that incredible fear it must have been of being totally intimidated by the people that were around. And we're talking about boys at 14. What about the intimidation of the whole Roman guard? They were lethal. They wouldn't have exactly sat down and had a cup of tea with you. It's awful being in a minority of one, isn't it? Jesus would have been someone not in control at that moment, humanly speaking, no escape, and then facing intimidating faces, whichever direction he looked in. They were surrounded him. Have you thought about that? What would have gone through his mind? Maybe, again, a flashback to what he prayed at Gethsemane. There was then the humiliation of being stripped. How awful to be stripped. We don't like those kind of newspaper stories, do we? When we hear horrific things that are done to other people in our world that involves the abuse of another in that way rape or whatever but here was Jesus being stripped by other men as well 
It's bad enough to be in hospital, isn't it? To know you've got to go for an operation and then the nurse to come to you and say, can you take your clothes off, please? And they are quite gentle in asking you that, but you feel quite humiliated in terms of having to, uh, to, to remove your clothes. And, of course, they make you feel so much better by you putting on that lovely gang, don't they? Which is all okay until you turn around like that and go to bend down. The humiliation of being stripped... Nakedness in our day is often linked to sexuality or sensuality, isn't it? In Jesus' day, the the, the first uh, port of call on that line would have been the whole sense of shame. And certainly the context here would have been the shame that Jesus would have felt. Have we pondered that? I wonder. Mark's Gospel says that the robe that they put on him was purple. Well, that's not what Matthew says, is it? He says it's red, a scarlet robe that was put um, on him. Contradiction? Conflict? No, any colour that had red in it in Jesus' day, they would have very often called purple. Oh, thank goodness for that. I thought we had a bit of a conflict. But it's good to raise it, isn't it? You may well have thought, well, if it's here in Matthew and here in Mark, I'll read those two accounts. Sometimes we can be a bit thrown if when we perceive there's maybe something that's different. There's no uh, difference here at all. The humiliation, though, that Jesus went through and being completely stripped. And then, of course, there's this scarlet robe put on him. And then there's the searing physical pain of the thorns. Clearing out our garden uh, recently <laughs> of weeds, and it's not very often that this has, uh, happens, I have to say, which is why the jolly things are so large. It's okay when you've got those thick leather gloves on, isn't it? That's fine. You think, right, big uh, thorn bushes, get those out with the gloves. But then, of course, you're clearing other weeds, and sometimes where there's smaller weeds, um, you, you, don't, you can't get your fingers right the way down with the smaller weeds. So you take your gloves off, you then pull out those smaller weeds by the root, and then as the, the sack is growing up of, uh, of weeds and filling up, I need more room in there, let's push... Ow, have you done that? You knew if you thought about it that there was thorns in there and there's this big yelp at the pain and then I take my hand out and I've got a little tiny pinprick. But that's painful. Here was a crown of thorns, not just a little pinprick. And the crown of thorns is nestled in upon our Lord's head. Have we thought of that? Maybe next time you prick your finger, we would do well to think about what that must have felt like. In his head, of course, too. Why do we have thorns? Where did they come from? It's an interesting question to think about, isn't it? We've got to go right the way back to the beginning of Genesis to find out. Thorns were never a beautiful creation of something nice. Oh no, they're nasty. They came in post the fall, it seems, from Genesis chapter 3, verse 18. 
Adam and Eve had just gone wrong. What was the outcome of sin? Well, we, we knew the outcome of their sin was ultimately going to be death. And there's a judgment uh, on women and there's a judgment on mankind as well. And we read there that the ground that the man is going to labour uh, over will produce thorns and thistles. And our back garden is proof of that reality, that that's exactly what has happened. So here we've got the thorns being the outcome of sin, way back in the Garden of Eden. And the outcome of our sin is then enforced and rammed into Jesus' head, because he's going to take upon himself the thorns, our sin rammed in painfully we've then got the irreverence of mock worship and I think I've said before as we've gone through this series I've kind of got quite angry uh, at times in there right calm down calm down calm down you have a role to play here but mock worship I really don't do that very well I don't deal with hearing about that very well. Mark says that the soldiers paid homage to him in some kind of mock way. Matthew tells it for what it was. They mocked him. They put a staff in his right hand, they knelt in front of him, and they mocked him. Hail, King of the Jews! And of course in the crowd, everything can be whipped up as being so funny, can't it? That sense of cowardice that gets built up. Jesus said in John 4, didn't he, that true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. This was far from that. But what about me? Well, of course, I'm not one of the crowd with the soldiers, and, and I don't take the mick out of Jesus when I worship God. Obviously, I'm one of those people that worships in spirit and, and in truth, aren't I? All, all the time, Lord, surely you know my heart. Let's have a quick look in the, in the welcome sheet a minute. I'll miss that first song out. It's a bit boring anyway. Oh, look at that. Second song. Hey, did you know about so and so and so and so? And then I leave this place and I go and do something that I said mock worship. Oh, I was at church today. I sang some songs. Somebody said some prayers. I couldn't understand the words. I switched off during communion. Been there, done that. Complacency. Mock worship. And the more I thought about mock worship, I thought, Lord, there are times when I've not maybe intentionally been like one of these soldiers here, but I wondered if there's been a contradiction between what I might say to someone or try to convey to someone about what I desperately would want to be in my heart and in my mind, but the reality of the working out of that has been very different. Jo doesn't know me very well. She prayed for me and thanked thank me for being such a man of God. And I'm thinking, oh, 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 oh. Why? Because I know my fallenness. I know what I'm really like. And there are times when the way that I live my life is anything but an act of worship. Because worship is lifestyle, not just singing a song. Are we one of those people maybe that are more like the soldiers than we would have thought? It's the right place to ask, isn't it? Especially as we're going to come to communion shortly. The irony, of course, is for these soldiers here who were mocking the Lord Jesus, they will indeed one day worship the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. 
every tongue confess that Jesus is Lord. Philippians chapter 2 verses 9 to 11 where Paul cites that beautiful kind of like hymn we think it was. The irreverence of mock worship. We then have the degradation of being spat at. It's another memory of school days for me. And sorry if this sounds a bit uh, a bit yucky, but it is a memory of school days. I can remember the lads spitting at one another, particularly bigger guy to smaller guy, and other kids thinking that it was funny. Horrible. There's various nasty things that can occur on a football pitch, but I remember one player being interviewed who'd been on the receiving end of being spat at by somebody by the name of El Hajj Jufa, an international footballer, and this guy who'd been spat at, and of course TV has a great way of slowing this down, and you can see the action replay of his phlegm passing from uh, this one footballer's mouth into the face of this other guy. And he said, all sorts of pushing and shoving goes on on a football field, but that is the lowest of the low. Jesus took that too. Jesus took that too. Can you imagine the phlegm stuck in his hair? Can you imagine the saliva flicking into his eyes? Would you like me to go on? Don't, Roger. I'm really not finding it very comfortable what you're saying. I'm quite offended. It's revolting. It is the Word of God. And this is what our Lord Jesus Christ was on the receiving end. For you and for me. Jesus took, of course, more than the content of the words. Moreover, he remained silent and did not retaliate. What would have gone through his mind? Take this cup from me. Enough's enough. But for my sake and yours, he took it all. Following that, we've then got the constant pain of being struck. They spat on him, verse 30, and took the staff and struck him on the head again and again. What did he have on his head already? The little thorn in Roger's finger makes him go owl and gets a bit squealy and girly. But this is a crown of thorns, it's on Jesus' head, the pain is horrific, and then amidst that crown of thorns that is already causing blood to run down Jesus' face, they then beat him over the head, how much? Once, twice, again and again, repetitively. What would have happened to that crown of thorns? Deeper and deeper and deeper. Probably this is the sort of pain in terms of physically being struck that we think of most when we think of what Jesus went through. It tends to be how we most understand physical pain, doesn't it? Somebody being hit, we see a child hitting a, an, another child because they stole their toy, or we see something on TV and in a film and somebody gets thumped, or you maybe have been boxing, watching the Olympics and the, the boxers and somebody, oh, ow, that must, have, that must have hurt. Or one of the accidental things, I think last night they were showing some of the... Um, uh, the Olympic pains, they were calling it, as opposed to the Olympic Games. And uh, one poor lady in a ladies' hockey match, as she, uh, as she went to whack with the ball and her stick went round, just as another lady went to go in to make a tackle, caused the hockey stick, 
blood spurting out everywhere. And we think, oh, that's what I think of when I think of uh, pain. Maybe we've been on the receiving end ourselves and it hurt. Maybe we've struck someone else and we have regret. Again and again, the soldiers struck Jesus. They had a reed uh, that they used as a mock staff or scepter that a king would have held. And that reed would have now been used as a method to strike Jesus on his head. This crown was then forced deeper into his skull through that rod. However intense the initial pain from the thorns, the pain is now exaggerated further. It's only a few verses here, isn't it? We have the dread of being placed into enemy hands, the fear of being intimidated, the humiliation of being stripped, the searing physical pain of the thorns, the irreverence of mock worship, the degradation of being spat at, the constant pain of being struck. And then finally, he had the knowledge that worse was to come. Worse was to come. Yes, there would be nails, but worse would be the separation from Father that they'd not been since the beginning of time. They'd had that eternal relationship together and also carrying the weight of human sin upon himself. We can't imagine that pain. can't possibly begin to. But we can catch a glimpse, just a tiny glimpse of what it's like when we know there's something awful around the corner. You may well have a dental appointment this week that you're not looking forward to. Or something else that you've been putting off. I mean, oh, I'm really dreading that. Let's magnify what the Lord Jesus was going to go through. What happened after that? We simply read in verse 31. They led him off. They led him away to crucify him. Most of us will never go through what Jesus did. But many do suffer today in Jesus' name. We call that the persecuted church. You may well um, receive a publication from the Barnabas uh, Fund, which is a fantastic organisation, supporting, praying through, and trying to uh, and trying to make a difference for uh, the persecuted church, our brothers and sisters in Christ. But as each of us, we are nonetheless told in Romans 12, verse 1, and with this I close, In view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Let's pray. Father God, I don't know what words to use in reliving what we've looked at of the soldier's mockery of Jesus. But I know that in some shape or form, I'm one of those soldiers because I've contributed through my own wrongdoing and sin what has necessitated the death, Father God, of your Son. Forgive us, Lord, when it's all too easy to point the finger at someone else and how bad uh, they do, what they do is. And we can sit in judgment over these soldiers. But we've also gone along with the crowd. Father, we pray that you would forgive us. And as we come around your table shortly, 
would you give us insight into areas of our lives where we are maybe not offering ourselves as living sacrifices to the name of Jesus. But also we would say, Jesus, we love you, and we are grateful that you didn't say, enough is enough, I'm out of here. We pray that as we come around your table, Lord God, that there might be a special reminder once again of what it cost you, reassuring us afresh of the depth and sincerity of your love for us. For we pray these things in Jesus' name.